0: Number 22 of the Mary Frances Storybook Tom Goes Down the Well This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recorded by Alan Lawley I see it, I see it, cried Tom eagerly balancing himself perilously over the well-curb. "'It's down at the bottom.' "'Did you suppose it would float?' asked Bess, with a touch of scorn in her tones. "'Let me see,' cried Bob, pushing forward. "'You clear out,' said Archie. "'You're to blame for dropping it in. "'You'd better go before you tumble in yourself, you little goose.' Archie's broken arm felt very stiff today. "'and his temper was slightly damaged, too. "'All four children gathered around the well, "'at the bottom of which lay the silver teapot. "'Like truth, bright and shining, "'but apparently not to be recovered by mortals. "'Mr. Bradley had gone to the village, "'and the children were determined to get the silver teapot up "'before his return, "'for as yet they had not thought it necessary.' to mention its disappearance, and Mr. Bradley was not the man to notice its absence. Of course if it was lost we should have to tell, Bess had said to her brother, but as long as we know where it is and that it's safe there's no need to say anything about it. Well, what's to be done? asked Archie. I can't go after it, with my broken arm. "'Now I suppose we will have nothing but your broken arm for a month, "'and you'll shirk everything for it. "'I can't study, because my arm's broken. "'I can't go errands, because my arm's broken. "'I can't go to church, because my arm's broken. "'That will be your wine, Archie. "'But don't try your dodges on me, for I won't stand it. "'If it really hurts you, I'm sorry. "'I'll lick any fella.' that touches you till you get well, but none of your humbug. Of course you can't go down the well. You couldn't if your arm wasn't broken." This was from Tom. Meanwhile, Bess had gone to the house for a long fishing pole and soon returned carrying it. "'We'll fasten a hook to the end of it and fish the teapot up,' said she. "'Ho, ho, do you suppose it will bite like a fish?' laughed Tom. "'No, I do not,' Tom Bradley. "'But I suppose if I tie a string to the pole and fasten an iron hook to one end, with a stone to keep it down, that I can wriggle it around in the water till the hook catches the handle, and then we can drag it up. "'That's what I suppose,' answered Bess, preparing to carry out her design." "'There's something in that, Bess. "'You're not so stupid as you look. "'Give me the pole and let me try. "'No, go and get one for yourself. "'Where will I find the hook? "'In the smokehouse where I got mine.' "'Oh, get me one too,' cried Bob. "'And me one too,' cried Archie. "'Before half an hour had passed, "'the four children, all armed with fishing-poles, "'were intently wiggling in the water.' catching their hooks in the stones by the side of the well, entangling their lines, digging their elbows into each other's sides in their frantic attempts to pull their hooks loose, scolding, pushing, and getting, generally, excited. Every few moments Tom would pull Bess back by her sunbonnet and save her from tumbling over in her eagerness. But so far from being grateful to a deliverer, Bess resented the treatment indignantly. "'Stop jerking my head,' so she cried. "'You'll be in in a minute. You'd have been in there then, if I hadn't jerked you,' answered Tom. "'Well, what have I had? Let me alone. If I go in, that's my own lookout. "'Your own look-in, you mean, my gracious? Wouldn't you astonish the toads down there? But you'd get your face clean.' Now, Tom, you let me be. I most had it that time. So you've said forty times. This is all humbug. I'm going down on the rope for it. Oh, no, Tom, please don't. Indeed, you'll be drowned. The rope will break. You'll kill yourself. You'll catch cold, cries Beth in alarm. She could fight Tom all day long when in the mood for it but to see him deliberately rush into the danger or to contemplate the fact that a hair on his precious head might be hurt was more than our intrepid best could bear. Poor girl, coward!' retorted thankless Tom, pointing the finger of scorn at his sister. "'Who's afraid of what? Stand back, small boys, I'm going in!' And Tom began to divest himself of his jacket. "'You'll poison the water,' suggested Archie. It would be so cold, moaned Bob. But nobody took any notice of Bob. He was treated with great contempt and much hustled as the author of the mischief. All felt that if Tom came to grief, Bob would be answerable. "'I'll scream for a hundred years without stopping, Tom,' cried Bess wildly. "'You shan't go down. You shan't. I'll call someone. Murray. Peter. Maggie.' Oo me! oo me! Stop screaming and help, said Tom, who had his shirt sleeves rolled up to the elbow and his pantaloons to his knee. Why, no one but Tom could tell. Now do you three hold on tight to this bucket. Don't let go for a moment. Pull away as hard as you can when I tell you to. Now for it. And without more ado, Tom clung to the other rope with his hands and twisted his feet around the bucket handle. Hold on tight and let me down easy, said Tom. And the three children clung desperately to their rope and lowered him little by little. Long experience in the rescuing cats from a watery grave in the well had taught the children how to manage the ropes and buckets but they had not calculated on the fact that Tom would be heavier than a cat, and it was with red faces and straining muscles that they dragged away on their rope. However, they were able to keep Tom steady, and he clung with one hand to the rope and pushing himself away from the sides of the well with the other, made his dangerous descent as successful as though his coagitators had been gifted with Simpson's strength. A sudden splash and shiver told them that he had reached the water, and with a shout of triumph declared that the teapot was rescued. As Tom shouted, all three children let go the rope and rushed to the side of the well to look at the victorious hero. It was a most fortunate circumstance that the water in the well was low, and that Tom plunged suddenly to the bottom by this unexpected movement, was able, after much scrambling, to stand upright with his head out of water. Otherwise the earthly career of Thomas Bradley would have been brought to a sudden and untimely end. As it was, he stood in the cold water up to his shoulders, clinging still to the rope, holding the teapot with one hand, and wildly precipitating to his admiring audience, whose heads hung over the well-curb, and their faces, as seen in this position by Tom, looked like those of grinning fiends. "'What made you let go?' roared Tom, as his voice sounded hollow and unnatural as it resounded from the depths of his cool and shady retreat. "'Oh, Tom, have you got it? Have you really? Ain't it cold?' "'Are you hurt? Were you scared? Is the teapot broken?' were a few of the questions that came faintly to him from above, and sounded very unlike angel whispers to the diver for teapots, who stood first on one leg, then on the other, to prevent equal cramp in both. "'Draw me up, you silly children, you goose of a bess! Why don't you draw me up?' "'We're so tired,' called down Archie. I hope to lower you with only one arm, but I can't drag any more. My arm's broken. Bess, draw me up, I tell you, screamed Tom from below. I will, Tom, I'm going to, answered Bess, who now reached up and recovered the bucket that had flown with a jerk to the top of the well roof when it had been so suddenly abandoned. But all the united efforts of Bess and Bob and Archer's left arm could not raise Tom. After a desperate tug he was raised an inch and suddenly lowered again. The result was a splash, a scramble below and Tom's voice spluttering incoherent invectives. Again and again the children tugged and again and again Tom splashed, scrambled and sputtered. At last a red, anxious face looked down to him, and Bess's voice choked with tears called out. "'Oh, Tom, do hold on till I call Maggie. We can't get you up.' Away ran Bess to call help, followed by Archie, but Bob, whose ideals at some points were as yet but feebly developed, seized one of the long poles and began to poke at his brother with it, under the impression that some good would come.' of these unaided efforts. "'Bob, be done. You'll put my eye out,' cried poor Tom, desperately, as the swinging iron hook circled around his head. "'Catch hold, catch hold!' cried Bob, getting excited as he saw how near he came to grappling his brother. "'Just let me get up once, and I'll catch hold,' muttered Tom, wrathfully. Then, raising his voice, he yelled as loud as he could for help. "'Pete!' "'Peter! Peter!' But Peter was a mile away, and consequently could not hear. Maggie had improved the occasion of her master's absence to visit her friend and neighbour, Miss Flaherty, for half an hour, and Kate, summoned from her baking, came to the rescue, but only assisted by wringing her hands and wailing. Hark! He's lost with the cold. Sure, and he'll get his death now. Ah, what children these are. Take hold of the rope and pull, cried Bess. I couldn't raise him, sure, and I'd only put him up be snaps and drop him again, said so Kate, who showed a lamentable want of confidence in her own abilities. Oh, do something, cried Bess. No one must beside herself with fear. Do something, Kate. Oh, where is Murray? Gone for a load of old wood, and won't be home till night, answered Kate. Oh, Tom, can't you shinny up the rope? called down Bess. No, I'm too stiff now with cold. Besides, I couldn't do it anyway, moaned the captive Tom, who looked like a triton blowing his conch shell, as he stood with uplifted teapot. He seemed to think the teapot should be kept dry at all hazards and wearied his arm to keep it above water. "'I'll run next door and call Mr. Wilson,' said Bess, more hopefully, and started on this errand, while Kate, suddenly inspired, rushed to the kitchen sink where stood the iron pump connected by a pipe with the well and began to pump vigorously apparently with the anticipation of seeing Tom ooze through the spout, for which purpose, and to make the matter surer, she removed the filter. As Bess ran, she was suddenly stopped at the gate by the sight of a carriage which had just driven up, and out of which now stepped Aunt Marie and Aunt Marie's husband, Uncle Daniel. These were very grimmest and grandest of all the relations when they came to see Mamma, Bess had to always to sit perfectly still on a chair answer very politely have her very best dress on her hair parted directly in the middle and be intensely proper as for the boys they suffered the torture by soap and water and endured their new jackets could not whittle or whistle nor wrestle and were sustained under these tribulations only by the expectation of a very good dinner and a bully dessert. The white and gold china always came out on these occasions, the best double-demasked tablecloth and napkins, the heaviest silver forks and spoons, the silver salt cellars and, oh, agony of agonies, the silver teapot. For one awful moment Bess stood stunned, Then her anxiety for Tom overcame every other consideration, and before Aunt Maria could say, How to do, Elizabeth, she had caught her uncle by his August coat-tail, and in a piteous voice besought him to come and pull on the rope. Pull on a rope, Elizabeth? said Uncle Daniel in mild astonishment. Why should I pull on a rope, my dear? And Aunt Maria murmured, very astonishing thing for a child to say. "'Oh, come quick! Hurry faster! Tom's down in the well!' cried Bess, with freely flowing tears. "'Tom down a well? And how did he get there?' Uncle Daniel never hurried and required a reason, always, for the hope that it was in his friends. "'He went down for a teapot,' sobbed Bess. The silver teapot, and we can't pull him up again, and he's all cramped with cold. Oh, do hurry. The silver teapot down the well. My mother's silver teapot. Daniel, didn't I always say that Mary Bradley should never have had that teapot? This must be looked into. And with dignified strides, Aunt Maria marched to the well. Tom's teeth by this time were chattering so that he fully expected they would all drop out, and the three fishers were so completely demoralized by their fears as to be speechless. Uncle Daniel was a slow man. He leisurely looked down at Tom, then up at the wheel, then at the rope, and calmly remarked, All new, I see. Then he slowly took off his coat, and as slowly carried it into the house, stopped, to give an order to his coachman, who had driven around to the stable and came with measured pace to where the three frightened children stood listening to Aunt Maria, who was doing her duty by them strictly and fully. Uncle Daniel then took hold of the rope, gave a long, strong, calm pull, and in an instant Tom, dripping with coolness, arose from the well. As soon as they had stopped laughing, the storyteller said, "I will now tell you a Christmas story of the Great Northwest." End of section twenty-two. Tom goes down the well. Recorded by Alan Lawley.